that in in his mercy and his power in his grace that he loved us so much he sent us to die on the cross that third verse gets me almost every time that my son my sin not sparing he took it and placed it upon the savior and just can't even I can't even begin to thank him take your bibles with you if you would we didn't do the scripture reading we'll do it now Romans chapter 12 Romans chapter 12 the passage most of us know especially these two verses verses 1 and 2 when you find it please stand with me for the reading of God's word I I'll be honest I have nothing to say but I'm thankful that I have a God who has much to say and it's worth it's worth listening to Psalms or sorry Romans chapter 1 we're going to start reading in verses, sorry, Romans chapter 12. We'll start reading in verse 1. We'll read both 1 and 2 together. It says in verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning as we get into the, the, the message, I want to remind you we've been looking at this, this, uh, this study, this series in Rebuilding the Altar. Uh, began back in First, First Kings chapter 18 as we looked at the, 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 uh, what happened uh, as Elijah had to have his spiritual battle with the prophets of Baal. And, and the battle consisted of uh, uh, the, the calling of fire from heaven uh, from their gods. We know that uh, he gathered up, the, there were the 450 prophets of Baal, and there was Elijah. There were the people of Israel. There was the, the king that was there. And, and, and uh, he looked at the people of Israel and said, who are you going to serve? And to their detriment, they said it's, they said nothing. It says they answered him not a word. They didn't say anything because they, they didn't know what to do. And many of them, most of them, uh, the vast majority of the people of Israel at the time were worshiping false gods. Uh, they they were worshiping Baal, and and so so. But this was the man of God, and they were they, they were in fear. Said nothing. But the the prophets of Baal, we know that they they did all that they could. They cried out to their God. They 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 beat themselves. They 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 afflicted themselves. They did everything that they could physically do to get God their God Baal to to, to hear their cries and answer with fire and. Well, we know that Baal had ears but couldn't hear and eyes that couldn't see and a mouth that couldn't speak. There's nothing that he could do uh, uh, because he was a god of their own making. Uh, he was a false god. He was not God. And, and uh, Elijah mocked them a little bit, said maybe he's fallen asleep or he's gone on a trip or maybe he's, uh, uh, who knows what he's doing. But uh, uh, when it came time for Elijah to, to make that sacrifice, uh, uh, and we know that God heard his prayer, we know that fire fell from heaven, we know that he had victory that day, but there was a, the, the, 
the verse in, in there, it says that Elijah had to rebuild the altar before he could sacrifice upon the altar and ask, uh, and ask God to send fire down to consume that sacrifice, there had to be the rebuilding of the altar. And we, uh, in, in that first message, we talked about how uh, th- that doesn't happen in a day or a week. Uh, uh, for something, for, for something to, to, to happen like that to the altar, it would have been, been, had to have been neglected for a long period of time. Elijah had to take time to rebuild the altar. And... We, in our own lives, can neglect our altar. Now, I don't mean that you have to have an altar in your home. I don't mean that you have to, I'm not talking about the physical altar uh, that we have here. It's a, it's a, it's a, a picture of a, a place for us to go and meet with God. We, we talked about that last week, as we, as we uh, last Sunday morning, that the altar was a place uh, where, where God's presence was met. We saw that in the very first place in Genesis chapter 8. Uh, uh, and if you want to, you can, you can turn there, because we're going to look at it in just a moment. Uh, Genesis chapter 8. As, as Moses, or not Moses, as Noah is coming off the ark, he built an altar. This is the first instance of an altar uh, in, in, in the word of God. And uh, it says in verse 20, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. Uh, uh, so, so Noah approached God through the altar, through the sacrifice, and God's presence was there, and God spoke to, Mo, uh, to Noah on that day and, and promised that they would no longer, or he would never again curse the world with, uh, and destroy the world by flood. Uh, any other time that you read about them, somebody building an altar, whether it was whether it was Noah or Abraham or or Isaac or Jacob or or, or, or any anybody, uh, they, they would build the altar there at at a time or at a place where they met with God. But there was something else that, and that's what we talked about last week. It was a place where we can meet with God, and we are to meet with God on every, every single day. We know that God is in us, right? We know that, that as, if we're saved, that the, the Spirit of God dwells in us. If we're not saved, He desires to dwell in us, and that's done through salvation, through the new birth. But, but as, as, as children of God, he dwells in us. His presence is always here with us, uh, but we don't always know it. We looked at Jacob last week who, who went out, uh, who, who dreamed a dream, and, and uh, he had that dream, and God spoke to him through the dream, and he, was, uh, he revealed himself, and he built that altar, and he said, this is a place of God, but I knew it not. And there are many times in our Christian life where we forget that God is there. We, we can come to church and we can worship and listen, while God is everywhere, God does not always make himself known to us. And we should have a desire for God to make himself known to us through his word, through the preaching of his word, through our fellowship, through the praise. We, uh, I'm not talking about uh, uh, flames of fire. I'm, not talk, I'm talking about the spirit of God moving in our hearts. We need that. We need it at church. We need it at home. We need it everywhere we go. And through this, through our, through our altar, through our time of, of, of prayer or study of the Word of God, we can meet with the Lord. And we do need to rebuild that. And listen, there have been times when I've neglected it. I guess I'm the only one. Right? I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but just be honest with yourself. Have you ever neglected your altar? Uh, the time, your time with the Lord. Uh, your time where you're meeting with God. and, and letting, uh, So th- that needed to be rebuilt. And we talked about that. We talked about the rebuilding the altar of praise because, in the, again, that first instance, Noah was thanking God and praising God for, what, for, 
for saving his family. And, and so uh, we need to rebuild that altar of praise. We know that the, the Bible says we're to enter into his presence with thanksgiving and to his course with praise. We're, we're to come to, to the presence of God, bring honor and glory to his name. That's why we sing. We just sing, how great thou art. Listen, it's not because I think I sound good when I sing that song. And I hope you don't think that. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with, with it, it draws our hearts and our minds to the great God that we're singing about. Remember that verse, that third verse, it points specifically to, to the, the fact that Christ bore our sins. God's wrath was satisfied because Christ bore our sins. That should bring joy to our heart and worship. And if we lack that, man, that makes for a, a very dead like Christian walk. God deserves our praise. He desires our praise. Today, there's something else that I notice that the altar was used for. Yes, it was a, a place to meet with God. Yes, it was a, 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 a place uh, to praise God and worship God. And this is, a, a, I believe, a, an aspect of worship. There are many aspects to worship, but this is something that, that I believe that uh, can sometimes be lacking. Look back there again at Genesis chapter 8 again. Notice verse 20. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now stop and think a minute about what just happened. He, he, he brought forth an offering before the Lord. Now, uh, if you go back to the first offering, that was all the way back in uh, Genesis uh, uh, chapter 4 when Seth, and, 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 not Seth, when Cain and Abel uh, brought their offerings before the Lord. Uh, Cain brought uh, the fruit of the ground, and Seth brought from uh, the pasture the, one of the sheep, and he, they both made their offerings. One was acceptable, and the other was not, but those were offerings to the Lord. The, the, the altar was a place of, of sacrifice and a place of offering. They, they would, it would be a place that was built up, whether it was, uh, whether it was rocks piled. Leviticus says that they had to be rocks that were not hewn by hands, uh, uncut, uh, but they were to be piled up. They were to be anointed for this, this special purpose, but then they would take the altar, or they would take that, their offering, whatever it was that they were bringing, whether it was a, a, a lamb, whether it was a goat, whether it was a bullock, whatever it was, they were to take that, they were to, to, to place it upon that altar, and they were to kill it. It was, it was a lifted up place. Why? Because they were offering something of their own to the Lord. Now let's stop and think about what, what Noah's doing here in Genesis chapter 8. He is offering something to God. You say, well, he's offering birds. Okay. Every clean fowl, that's not, there weren't that many birds at the time. Stop and think about it for a second. They were, there were seven, of the clean fowls, there were only seven of each. And here you're in a world that's been depopulated of all other life. And he offered of those birds. There was, there was some substantial giving and trust and faith in that. That God was going to continue to provide and that they, those birds would multiply and had to sacrifice. In Genesis chapter two or chapter twenty-two, we see another uh, another sacrifice, another altar that was built. God speaks to Abraham, and and Abraham uh, has his son. Now Abraham has two sons. One is the son of promise. The other was the son uh, the son that, that that he had had 
against the will of God and outside of his marriage with, 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 with Hagar, his wife's handmaid. But, but the son of promise was Isaac, and, and God had, had told him that this would be the, the lineage of which all the earth would be blessed. And, and he, said, he said, you're going to have an inheritance through this son Isaac. And in Genesis chapter 22, he says, take your son Isaac and go up onto the mount of God and build an altar and offer him unto me as a burnt offering. What? Stop and think about it. Isaac was the son whom he loved. It was his most cherished possession. There was nothing, I'm sure Abraham would have more gladly placed himself on the altar than to place his child. God, God was testing him. God was proving him. Not that God did not know what he was going to do, but, but it, was, it, it was a proof uh, for, for, for Moses, uh, or for, sorry, for Abraham, that, that, he would, uh, that he would be able to see how strong his faith was. And we know that by faith, he offered Isaac. By faith, he took Isaac, and he took, took the, the, the wood and the, the fire, and he got up there, and if you remember, he, Isaac says, Dad, we've got the wood, and we've got the fire, but where's the, where's, where's the, the lamb for the offering, Dad? must have been a difficult conversation for him to have. But he, they build the altar, they, they, they put down the wood, they, he takes his son, he binds his hands and his feet, and he lays them on that altar, and he pulls out his knife. I can't imagine what was going through his heart and his mind, but I, I can tell you this, I know what was going on with his faith, because the book of Hebrews tells us, that he believed that if God had, would have him do this, he would raise his son from the dead. Now we know God did not have him kill his son Isaac. But that sacrifice. See, well that's, uh, you look, we, we talked about, the, or Brother Mark talked about sacrifices and the, the, the offerings that were, that were in the book of Leviticus. And there were five different uh, offerings that were, that, that, he, that were recorded and mentioned. Two of them are required, uh, uh, those two offerings. Uh, the, the offering for sin, the, uh, the, the offering for the day of atonement. Uh, it was for the sin of the people that their the, the, the sin could be covered uh, for that period of time until the time of the next uh, day of atonement. Uh, once a year that took place. Uh, and that was a requirement. Those were required offerings. The other offerings were not required. They were they were there for the, there was the meal offering. Uh, the, uh, it was it was there. There was the peace offering. There, uh, there, there were there were those that were required uh, to cover their sin. And then the other the other uh, offerings were there uh, as a as a God we love you and we want to do this. Those were not required. Now I don't know about you. Uh, I'm thankful that we don't have to do that stuff anymore. There, there is no altar that you've got to bring in your sheep or your goats or your or your birds, and uh, we got to cut them up. I mean, that's a, that's that looks like a book. It'd be a butcher shop. We don't have to do that. It'd be, it'd be a bloody mess. It'd be a lot of work. Though I wouldn't mind some steak if you want to bring me some steak. Um, I don't. I don't want to have to cut it up myself. No, we don't have to do that anymore. Do you know why? Because the Book of Hebrews tells us that. Jesus Christ was that once and for all final offering for sin. Because the blood of bulls and goats never washed away sin. It never, never brought about remissions. But the Bible does say in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus Christ had to die. And he died for you and I. So why did he have to die? Because of our sinfulness. Uh, we, we need to be very careful that we understand that when God looks at us prior to salvation, that description is found in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, dead in our trespasses and sins. 
He, he, he sees uh, our sinfulness, see? but he's a loving God. Yeah, it, it, it bothers me. Uh, listen, yes, he is a loving God. The Bible, fact, in fact, says in First John uh, that, he, that God is love, and, and I will not deny that. But when people will go out and they preach that God is love, God is love, God is love, he loves you just the way, he does love you just the way you are. Don't misunderstand me. But they're, they're, they're taking a part, part of his nature, of who he is. God is love. But God is also just, and God is also holy, and God is also righteous. You, you can't separate the two. And any time that you see in Scripture the word love or God is love, it's always tied to the cross. Every single time. Yes, God is love. He loved you so much that he sent his Savior to die on the cross for your sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, the atonement for our sins. When we stop and think about the love of God and what that means for us, we sang about it there in, in, in that third verse. Uh, uh, he bore our sins. That brings about a, a joy in our heart. And as we read through the book of Romans, if we were to spend uh, some time, a time, some time, and it would take us a lot of time uh, uh, to go through the first 11 chapters of Romans, but you would see there God's plan of salvation, the gospel from beginning to, from chapter 1 to chapter 11, it talks about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter we, we get the Romans road from it. We, we cherry pick verses here and there that, 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 that bring out, and, and I'm not, when I say cherry pick, I don't mean in a bad way. Uh, uh, all of these verses are true, uh, uh, but all of it is true. Amen. Uh, uh, but but uh, the Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's us. That's our standing. Uh, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, uh, his, uh, his, his blood was shed so that we could, could, could be atoned, that we could be uh, in fellowship with God. So our sin could be paid for. So God is love, yes. But God loved us so much that Christ died for us. I mentioned this last week during the revival, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says, the love of Christ constraineth me. And we talked, I, meant, I talked about how uh, love is constraining. God loved us so much that he had to do something. Because he's just, because he's holy, uh, be, uh, our sin must be judged. It's just like some judge who sits on a, uh, sits on a, on a, on a judicial seat, and, and uh, a man comes before him who, who, who has uh, uh, broken the law. He's, he, he's killed somebody. He's run over some child. Uh, he's raped someone. Whatever the crime is, that judge has to make a righteous judgment. He's going to look at that man and say, you're guilty, you must be judged. To do anything else would be an unrighteous judgment. And while there are some unrighteous judges here on this earth, there, are, there is not an unrighteous judge in heaven. He looks at our sin, he sees that it must be judged, but in his love, he then also paid the price. That word propitiation means made atonement. Isaiah 53 talks about, uh, about our, our Lord and Savior, how he, uh, the iniquities were laid upon him uh, the, for, for, for all of us. And it says in verse 10, I believe it is, that God looked upon the agony of his soul and his wrath was satisfied. I love that verse. Because that judgment was paid with Christ for you and for I. The rest of that verse, goes, the verse, that verse says, the love of Christ constraineth me. Now, that's not talking about the love of God. That's talking about, or that's, not talk, that's talking about our love for God. God loves us, but the Bible says in 1 John, uh, we love him because he first loved us. There is a response to God's love for us. And Paul said, it constraineth me. 
Look at, look at me real quickly, if you would. We'll, we'll come back here to Romans. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 14 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. It means compels us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, that's Jesus, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. What he's saying is if, if Christ died for us, he deserves that we should live for him. Sacrifice. Now listen, uh, we're, we don't have to do anything to earn our salvation. Our salvation is free. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of, your, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, your salvation is free. You, don't, you didn't have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to do anything to keep it. You're kept by the saving grace of God. The same one who saved you, can, you know, will keep you. But... Or and, let me, let, me, let me say it that way. Since God saves you and keeps you, he deserves that we honor him with our life. Now, it's not required. You don't lose your salvation if you don't. But don't you think he deserves something from us? Paul said we should live our lives for him who died for us. So the altar is in a place of sacrifice. The sacrifice for salvation was done once and for all by Jesus Christ. When he said it is finished on the cross, it was, the work of salvation was finished. Nothing more needed to be done. But he also said, we're to die to ourselves, we're to pick up a cross, and we're to follow him. He said if, if any man would love his father and his mother, or that if we put our hand to the plow and we look back, that we're not worthy of him. I'm not worthy of, of, of what Christ did for me. I'll never be worthy of what he did for me. The only value I have is the value that God placed on me through Jesus Christ. But he deserves everything I have and everything that I am. Everything. The problem is, we are selfish. It's really what it boils down to. I want to do what I want to do. I want to be what I want to be. I want to go where I want to go. I want to have what I, what I want to have. I'll let God have this part of my life. This aspect, this habit, this sin, but this other stuff, this is, this is the no, no God zone. I don't want him to have this section of my life. So, well, it's not that bad. It really isn't. If you have even a single room of your life, let's, let, let's just put this in perspective. Here's an illustration. This is not real. Don't think there's, this is going on in my house. So I got married. My wife moved in. And everything changed. And when I say everything changed, I mean everything. I went from a bachelor's house with a black leather 
couch and a big widescreen TV to uh, no curtains on, and no curtains on the windows and all this other stuff to uh, suddenly my clothes were all in a closet in the hall. She had my entire closet. There was uh, decorations. We repainted. We did all kinds of stuff. Uh, everything was, was, was different in my house. Do you know why? Because she was there now, which is okay. I'm okay with it. She decorates better than I do. I, would, I do like to have more of this than the closet, but that's okay. But let's just say, for illustration's sake, that I had a room. And I said, honey, I love you. Come on into my home. This is now our home, but this room right here is off limits. You cannot walk into this room. You cannot touch anything in this room. I want you to stay out of this room. How, is, how good is that? Would that be questionable? Yes. That I would keep anything from my wife? I think it is. There's, now, I'm not saying that she has con complete control over my whole life, but I'm not going to keep anything from her. Don't we do the same thing with God sometimes? God, you can have this. You can redecorate out here. You can change this over here. You can do this over here. But this is my stuff. You leave. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to leave, lose this. You leave that alone. You can look in there, but you can't change anything. Romans chapter 12. I believe God should have it access to all of our life, and not only access, but control. I believe that because the Word of God tells us that. Verse 1 of Romans chapter 12 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Paul here is, 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 is talking to the Romans. He's talking to the Gentiles and saying, listen, uh, you're saved. Uh, we, in the first 11, verses, or first 11 chapters, he talks about the gospel and all that God has done and, and, and how, how we are saved, the, mercy, the, the mercies that we have received from God through, through his son's death on the cross uh, for the payment of our sins, the redemption that's given, the, the change that takes. He's talked about those things, but now he says, I beseech you. That word beseech, means to beg. It means I'm imploring you. This is important. I'm not just informing you of something. This is, this is important. This is something that you need to take heed to, something I need you to grasp onto and, then, and apply to your life. I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Uh, he's talking to, to, the, to the, his brothers and sisters in Christ, those Gentiles that are saved. And he, that word, therefore, means uh, you need to go back and see all the things that I've already said. And these are what the reason I'm about to say what I'm going to do. And it says, therefore, the mercies by the mercies of God. Uh, he, is, he is trying to persuade, uh, persuade the people, of, of the Romans there that he's written to, uh, those, those that are saved. He's trying to persuade them that there is a sacrifice that is necessary in their life. Not the sacrifice for the atonement of their sin that was done alone in Jesus Christ. And he covers that in the first 11 chapters. He says, but by the mercies of God, I, I, I'm beseeching you. Now, what... what that word mercies of God, that phrase, I began to look at, look, look at it a little bit. It's referring to what God has already done. 
It's referring to uh, what, what Paul has already discussed or, or opened up to them in the first 11 chapters. It's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are the mercies that, God, uh, that, are, that have been opened to us and revealed to us. I deserve death. Say, well, that, nobody really deserves death unless they're on the death row. No. But the wages of sin is death. I deserved death. Mer- the word mercy means uh, to, to not receive that which we deserve. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners, for the wages of sin is death. Because uh, the problem is most of us think, oh, I'm a good person. Yes, I've, I've, I've messed up here and there, but I'm really, this, this is the problem with the world. We look at ourselves in the wrong way. The truth is, we all need the mercy of God. And we receive that in Jesus Christ. Here's a little test. How many of you think you're a good person? Don't raise your hand. God has given us the moral law to judge ourselves. He will judge us by the moral law one day. The Bible says it's appointed a man who wants to die, and after that, the judgment. When we get... People talk about going to heaven and playing harps and fishing with grandpa and all the other things. Listen, none of that's in the Bible. Well, it does tell us that there will be judgment. There are other things. There are good things in heaven as well. Don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. But we cannot get our concept of the afterlife or what comes after death from what other people say or how we feel or what we want it to be. It has to come from the Word of God. And the Bible says, after this, the judgment. So I'm, we're all going to be judged. So here, here, here's the test. Are we a good person? What, how will we be judged when we, get, when we get to heaven? Or when we die? Because not everybody will go to heaven. Are you a good person? How many lies have you told? If you've told a lie, raise your hand. I've told countless, countless lies. I, I, can't, I used to be a really good liar. What do we call people that, are, that tell lies? Liars. Are we still good people? Everybody lies, right? Isn't that, that, isn't that the, 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 what we would, you would hear? Uh, if you, your question is, everybody does it some, once in a while. Okay. Uh, yes, everybody lies. Uh, how many of us have, uh, uh, have uh, stolen something? Regardless of how much it costs. Could just be a little. Could be just time, a uh, time from your boss where you're messing around. And, uh, listen, how many of us have stolen? What do you call somebody who steals? Thief. No, we're lying thieves, right? Because we're liars and thieves. Uh, have Have you ever, uh, guys, that are, were particularly bad at this one? Have you ever lusted after a woman in your heart? The Bible says if you do that, you've committed adultery with with her already in your heart. Have we ever done that? People say, "Well, I'm just human." right with a sin nature the the point isn't that you are any worse than i am the point is that we're all in the same boat we're all sinners and god if we stand before god we will be lying thieving blasphemous uh uh, adulterers a heart fornicate that's what we are and when we look at one another we judge ourselves based off of how one another are we say well there are certainly there are certainly some bad people but as as in the general i'm good no For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He's our standard. 
and we all fall short. And if that's the case, uh, when, we get to, when, we, when we stand before God at Judgment Day, we'll be judged. How will we be judged? Righteously. And if we've committed a, those crimes, which we have, the answer will be guilty. Now, the love of Christ and, and the reason we see the mercy of God in this is, is, is found in this. We deserve death. We deserve judgment. We deserve to spend an eternity separated from God in a place called hell uh, for, for all eternity. But I don't want a radio station. Satan is really... Oh, boy. I thought I should... That's the dangers of technology. All right. Goodness gracious. Get away from that thing. We're going to stand before God and be judged someday. But we found the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. Because while we didn't deserve his, his mercy, while, we didn't, while what we deserve is judgment, he sent us Christ. Jesus Christ paid for your sin and for my sin. And it terrifies me to think that there are people that I know, people that I love, people that I care about, that are going to stand before God and be judged, thinking, hey, I'm okay. When the truth of the matter is, they're going to face judgment. Now, Paul says, by the mercies of God, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. He's saying, listen, because of all the things that you have received of God, all the mercies, the, the atonement, the redemption, the, the inheritance, all of those mercies, all of it is based out of the love of God and God's goodness. Because you have received those things, God deserves something from you. He doesn't require anything for your salvation. But he deserves something from you. He said because of what he's done for you, because of the salvation you now enjoy because of Jesus Christ, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. We saw the persuasion. Here's the presentation. What God deserves is that we personally present ourselves. It's a personal sacrifice. Personal means uh, I have to give it. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt me to get uh, my kids are all the time coming up and saying, Dad, can I have some money for the offering? Because they don't have any money to give. You know, that's, that's fine. But it doesn't hurt their wallet. It, is, it doesn't cost them at all. For, for them to give money. Uh, th this last, uh, uh, at, at uh, our uh, VBS, uh, uh, the, the, the boys won, right guys? That was exciting. Uh, most of them are out in the back. Uh, uh, but the boys won. Uh, in, 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 in the, they brought in uh, the most money for the Thren family, and, and uh, it was an offering that was given unto God, but most of that money didn't come from their pockets. I'm not, I, I am not uh, ignorant of this truth, Okay. Yes, some of the kids uh, went and dug on the couches and got in the cars and stole, hopefully they didn't steal the money out of the parents' cup holders, but wherever they got the change from, yes, some of that money came from that. But most of it, uh, and I know some kids worked for it. Uh, uh, Ezra, took, uh, Ezra took some money that he had, he had earned and, and went to the, the bank and said, hey, can I have this in pennies? And they said, no, <laughs> because it's too many pennies. Uh, I know some of the kids were, but the majority of that money came from, some, there's no cost in that. There's no cost in that. Yes, they may be presenting it, but it doesn't cost them anything. 
what, what God wants from us is going to cost us something. But while it may cost us something, the benefit of it is so much greater. See, we're giving something that we can't keep to get something that we can never earn. Uh, we're, 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 we're giving something that, that, that uh, if we held on to it, well, the truth is we couldn't hold on to it, but what we re- receive in return, our salvation, not our salvation, but our inheritance of God, nobody can take that away from us. It's eternal. It's incorruptible. Undefiled. What a sacrifice. The presentation is, uh, is supposed to be personal. Ye present your body. That is not me presenting my children. Well, uh, it is not me presenting. Uh, it is not me presenting Brother Donnie or, or, or Brother George or anybody else. It's me presenting me. It's got to be personal. Not only is it personal, but it's physical. Present your body. But what does that mean? Well, if I give God my eyes, then I don't look at things God wouldn't have me to look at. Give God my ears, I don't listen to things that I know would be displeasing to Him. If I give God my feet, then then I don't go places that I know He wouldn't lead me. In fact, I'll only walk to the places where He does. My word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. If I give God my mouth, I will only say those things that bring honor and glory to His name and 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 spread the gospel. I I I, I won't be saying things uh, that would offend Him or saying things that would that would hinder people. Or hurt people. If I give him my body, I give him my all. It, we can talk about a lot of different things that we can sacrifice. We can sacrifice our time. God deserves some of our time, does he not? In fact, God deserves all of our time. But, 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 but if, we go, if we're going to sacrifice our time, that means we're giving of our own time to the Lord. Uh, we can sacrifice some of our money. And, oh, there goes the preacher talking about money. Yes, we're to give to the Lord. We give our offerings to the Lord that he can use those. And, be, and, and, and it, 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 it's a blessing as God, God gives to us so that we can give to others. The Bible says, that our, should a man or will a man rob God? I hope not, but God does provide for those uh, and, and bless those that they give to him. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, actually there's something here I want you to see in this. Because we can talk about time. Well, we can talk about service. Well, we can talk about finances, all the things that we're supposed to give to the Lord. We can talk even about our physical bodies. I want you to see here what Paul's telling the church here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He's talking, about the, the, he's talking to the Corinthian church about the Macedonian church. Now, for background to this, the church in Jerusalem is suffering. They are going through great persecution. They are in great trial. And Paul is taking up an offering to send back to the church of Jerusalem. And here he's telling the church in Corinth about the church of Macedonia and their gift. It says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves." Praying 
us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. Stop there for a minute. He says, listen, in their great, not, not the church in Jerusalem's great affliction, but in the people of Macedonia, they were under great affliction as well. They were in deep poverty themselves. They, they were going through a difficult time. They didn't have much to give. But it says that they gave uh, to their power all that they could give. And it says, yea, above their power. They went beyond their power to give. Uh, I mean, they, they dug in deep till it hurt. Now, I'm not trying to get you to give, me, give the church more money. That's not what this is about. What I want you to see is in the next verse. Because before they could give of their, their finances, what does Paul say in verse 5? And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. See, we can, I can sit up here and preach and tell you that you need to spend more time in the Bible. And I can tell you that you need to spend more time in church and start, and start, start sacrificing that time in coming to the, the morning service and the afternoon service and the, even, uh, the Wednesday service. Uh, uh, I, can, I can tell you that you need to sacrifice your time and your effort to go out and, and witness and tell people about Christ. I can tell you that you need, uh, and, and with, 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 with biblical background, that we just give unto the Lord and sacrifice and tithe unto the Lord and give offerings unto the Lord. I can, I can, there's so much I could talk about, but it all stems back to this. Because if you give of your own selves to God, all the rest comes with it. If you say, God, I am yours. You, you gave your life for me. I want to give my life for you. All the, all the rest just comes with it. I am not here to try to get money out of your pockets. I'm not trying to be here to, to guilt you into spending more time at church. Or serving more. I'm here to tell you that God deserves everything that we have and everything that we are because He is our God, He is our Savior, and He gave everything for us. The problem with our, with, with our culture today here in America is that, that we're so blessed. We have so much that we're comfortable. And we're only willing to do so much. But listen, they, they dealt with the same thing in the church there in Corinth. Uh, uh, because it was the church of Macedonia who didn't have much. that They gave everything they had, but the church in Corinth, he said, listen, I want to remind you of what God's doing here in this church. The ones that are in affliction, the ones that are in deep poverty. The church in Corinth was fairly well off. See, the, 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 one of the problems of the blessing of, of financial wealth is a lukewarmness that comes with it. A comfort Everything's good. Everything's okay. I've got everything I need. But God wants not just money. In fact, it isn't really about the amount of money that you give. Remember the, uh, Jesus, Jesus pointing out to the disciples, the, the widow with her might? Uh, we, we refer to it as the widow's might, the story of the widow's might. They're sitting there, they're watching people walk in, and, and, and like, like we have a box in the back, there was a place for people to bring in their, their, their offerings to the Lord, and they would leave them off. And there were many wealthy people, they were bringing in large amounts of money, and they were dropping it in. And this little poor widow come in with a, a mite. Now, I actually have a widow's mite. It, well, they, they call it, it's a mite from biblical times. It was given to me as a gift years ago. It's just this tiny little piece of metal can't really tell what it is other than they say that's what it is. She took that and she dropped it in the box and it plinked down in there. 
And he said, she's given more than everybody else. That might wouldn't have gone far, but it was all she had. See, well, but I, there's nothing that I can do. I don't have any great talents for God to use. God will give you the talents you need to do what God calls you to do. He's not calling the, the, those that are wise. He's not calling those. Uh, he doesn't need those that are educated. He doesn't need, uh, not saying he won't use them. I'm saying he doesn't need them. God doesn't need any of us. But he loves us, and he wants us. He deserves us. He says, present your body as a living sacrifice. Does he have your body? Where do you want to send I hate technology. Satan is messing with me this morning. personal. It's going to cost something. He's looking for a physical us giving ourselves, not just our bodies, but our lives. But notice he also wants a pure sacrifice there in Romans chapter 12. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. The next word is holy. Holy means pure, unspotted. Say, well, I'm not perfect. You're right, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect either. We both sin. Even even though we're saved, we, we still sin because we still have this flesh. Now, I'm not saying that we can't avoid sin. I'm not saying that we cannot run away from sin. I'm saying that because of our, uh, that this flesh that we carry with us, there is a spiritual battle that goes on every single day in us, and there are times when we're drawn away by our own lusts, according to James, and we sin. But we don't have to, because we're not under the power of sin anymore. Jesus gave us victory over that, victory over sin and over death. In Peter, in Peter, God, uh, God speaks through Peter. Uh, Peter uh, quotes God from the Old Testament and, and it says it again in the, in, there in the, the New Testament there. Be holy, for I am holy. Well, I can't be holy. Only, only God's holy. You're right, God is holy. Only God is holy. But here's the thing about holiness and, or godliness. God is holy. God is the nature of God is holy. The more that we change to become like Christ, the more holy we are. I can't. You're right, you can't. You can't. But God's put something in you, you can. You've been born again if you're saved. You are, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, a new creature. Old things uh, shall be passed away. Behold, all things become new. We don't have to make those decisions. We know what's right and wrong. The Bible says that if we're tempted, that, that God will always give us a way of escape. Always. The problem is most of us don't look for it. Satan's not stupid. Listen, we're drawn away by. It's a, it's a, 
the, the term is a hunter's term. Have you ever, anybody hunted bear? I really want to go bear hunting sometime. Nobody around here has hunted bear? I want you, you've, you've hunted bear? Is it a teddy bear? Just a little one. I, I've, always wanted, I've always wanted to go hunting. And, and, well, I've gone hunting, but I've never hunted for bear. But up here, they, they don't hunt with dogs because it's illegal now. Uh, you have to bait. So they, uh, in fact, I know guys that, that, that do this. They've got bait stations where they'll take up all the old bread and all the old sweets and donuts and everything that they can get from the store that's getting thrown away, and they just dump it there. And you know what the bears do? They love it. They're, they, they come there, and they feast, and they eat, and they, they, they just stuff in their faces with these things. And then one day there's a hunter there, and he shoots them. That's how baiting bears works. I'm not saying I'm not against it. I'm not, that's, not, that's not what I'm trying to say. Satan does the same thing with you and I. He does. He knows your weaknesses. He's been watching you since the day you were born. Now, he is not all-knowing like God, uh, but he's been watching you. And from the moment that you got saved, you are free from his grasp. And he's like, listen, I'm going to mess this guy up. And he starts throwing things your way. He knows where your weaknesses are. And one day, just like that bear, sniffs those Dunkin' Donuts, maple glazed, whatever they are, donuts, and gets drawn in. You get drawn in by your own lusts. And God has given you discernment now as a child of God. It says, hey, wake up. The Holy Spirit's there saying, don't do this. And, and sometimes we listen. And then sometimes that flesh overwhelms us, especially when our spirit is weak. And we dive into those donuts or whatever it is. Deception. But God has called us to be holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. God desires a holy sacrifice pure, without sin. That means as we live our lives, we're to try to live as much like Christ as we can. We're going to address how here in a minute in verse 2. He desires not just a pure sacrifice, but a proper sacrifice. It's a holy, and then notice this is acceptable one to God. Now, as I, as I meditated on this last night lord uh, put a thought in my head that cain and abel brought two sacrifices one was acceptable and the other wasn't in in i believe it's in the book of numbers uh, uh aaron's two sons hophni and phineas go in to bring fire and burn incense before the lord as part of a sacrifice and the bible says fire came out and consumed them because they used strange fire what happened? If you go back and read through Leviticus, you read through, through, through Exodus, God is very specific in how things are to be done. Do it this way, this way, this way, this way. This is how this is, will be acceptable unto me. And if you did it wrong, it's not acceptable. We are to be a, a holy sacrifice, yes, but acceptable in the sight of God. Meaning that we are to live our lives the way God tells us to live our lives. A word's a lamp to my feet and light to my path. His, his word declares to me, it, it instructs me, it convicts me. All, the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for, for correction, for instruction. And listen, for, it's all that we need to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. Which means that we need to live our lives not according to the customs of our world, our society, 
or even our own feelings, but according to what the Word of God tells us is right. Pure, proper, pleasing. Notice the practicality of this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present in your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We think when we see missionaries going off to the foreign lands, people uh, sacrificing their jobs, uh, sacrificing uh, their, their wants, their desires, to uh, uh, quitting habits that, uh, so that they could do this, uh, there, there are people that think that I'm crazy for not having let my kids go and play, play sports. So that's why would you not do that? And I explained to them, well, because it interferes with our church. And they're better off being at church than playing sports. I'm not, I don't, I'm not against sports. I like playing sports. Uh, there's nothing wrong with those things. But I'd rather have my kids here because they have a whole lot better chance standing before God someday than they'll ever be, have playing for, uh, for NFL or the Major League Baseball or any of those things. They're better off being in, the, in a place where they can hear about God, in a place where they can fellowship and work and serve and, and, and learn to, 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 to love God more. Say, well, that's just fanatical. Not letting your, Well, you're the pastor. That's how it should be. No, I'm a parent. That's how it should be. Because they're better off here in the presence of God. Well, uh, I, I can remember when, when I, I took my wife. Now, this is before she was saved and I was away from the Lord. But I took her down to meet my parents. And on the way down to, to, to Ohio to meet my parents, I'm giving her the list of all the things that she needs to be aware of. Because she, she never went to church. And I said, listen, we're going to go to church on Sunday morning. And she's like, okay. And we're going to go back to church on Sunday, after, or Sunday evening. She goes, what? Why would you go to church twice? Isn't it the same thing? No, it's actually not. <laughs> oh. Why would you want to spend so much time there? It didn't make sense. When I grew up, went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night. We were there for Wednesday night prayer service. We went to Awana when I was little. And as I got older, there was, there was a knocking doors on Tuesday, Tuesday evenings, a visitation, a, a Saturday a visitation for the bus. There was, there was a lot of stuff. People looked at me and said, you're crazy. Why do you spend so much time there? I said, I love it. It's not that I felt like I had to. Just like Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth me. It compels me. That the life that I live isn't for me now. It belongs to him. It shouldn't be that, the, that, 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 uh, that, it's, that it's crazy that people would, would, would give so much of their time, uh, give so much of their effort. Uh, I, when I was working at the fire department in Gardner, uh, I, was, I was doing banking stuff on our computer, and, and the, my captain walked up behind me, and he saw, saw the, the tithe, uh, my tithe. He's, he's like, why would you give that much money to the church? I said, I said that, what, I shut it down real quick. I said, what do you mean? He goes, he goes I would never give that. I said, I'm not giving it to the church. God's. I'm not, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or to, to make myself uh, seem important to you. What I'm saying is it, sh it, it should be reasonable for us. As children of God, it should not be out of, uh, out of the ordinary or uncommon for, for God's people to say, I love God and I want to serve God and I want to do all I can for God. I want to live for God. I don't want to live for myself anymore. 
I don't belong to myself anymore. It's reasonable. It's not extra. It's not added on. Everything in this world, that's the extra part. Our walk with God should be first and foremost. The practicality of prohibition. Now we get to verse, verse number two. We'll be done quickly. But I want you to see this. It says in verse 2, be not con- And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, this word conform means to change, sorry, to, to conform or, tr- or fashion one's mind and character to a different pattern. Uh, the idea is that uh, I am one way, but uh, it's kind of like when you see these uh, little animals that change change skin, change color, right? Uh, uh, Chameleons, right? Uh, That's kind of the idea. Uh, I am one way. This is how I am, but now I'm going to be uh, around something else. So I change to fit that group of people or that that, those that thought or those those. I, I change to fit in so I don't stand out, and and people are just good at that. Because nobody likes to feel like they don't fit in. Uh, uh, they say birds of a feather flock together, uh, uh, but, but sometimes you get, you get a, uh, something else in there and they start acting like everybody else, or start talking like everybody else, p- picking up those things. Uh, I had a cousin uh, in, from Ohio. She went down to Texas for two months and she came back talking with a sudden drawl. Why? That's not for where you're from. started to sound like the people she was with. Now, it's not intentional necessarily all the time. But it's how we work. But he says, be not conformed. Don't conform your mind or your character to another's pattern. What's the other pattern? This is the world. Who's in control of this world? Satan. It is, it is a mindset, uh, a humanistic mindset in this world today uh, where it's all about me and all about mankind. And, and, and I'm not saying that those, the, the people are bad. I'm just, I'm just saying it's a, a, a not the same mindset that we're supposed to have. We're to have the mindset of Christ. Paul said, let this mind be in Christ, which was also in Christ Jesus. <laughs> we're to have a different mindset. We're to have a different character. We're to be a peculiar people. We're to be separated, sanctified. We're living our lives for God, not for the things of this world. Be not conformed to this world. Remember, we're to, we're to be that sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. This is how we do it. We don't allow the world to conform us to, to, its, to its way of thinking, to its, its, its set of beliefs, to its, its morality. Listen, God gave us the morality we're to live with. God gives us the mindset that we're to have. We're to live our lives for Him. Be not conformed to this world. Instead, be ye transformed. These words are, are, were not chosen by accident. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word, uh, that word uh, uh, conformed is suske batidzo, and again, it means to conform or fashion one's mind or character to another's pattern. The, the word that we get uh, transformed from is meta, metamorpho, uh, exactly what we, where we get metamorphosis from. 
to, hey, listen, you think of uh, the scientific uh, uh, truth of a, uh, of a caterpillar which climbs into this cocoon or chrysalis and, and over a period of time changes into and becomes a butterfly. Beautiful, if you've ever watched it. I, was, I took a walk yesterday down the path by the school and I, there was a monarch butterfly. Followed it for all, halfway down the path. It just flying along beside me. It was beautiful. Do you know when it was born, it did not look that way? It's ugly. Didn't have any wings. There were no pretty colors like orange and black. It was an ugly caterpillar. But inside of it, at its core, in its genetics, in its DNA, was everything that it needed to become what it's going to be. When you were born again, everything that you needed was put inside of you to become what you're going to be. But we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And just like that, that caterpillar has to make itself and build itself a cocoon and stay there until it transforms, we need to fill ourselves and bury ourselves in the Word of God and allow the Word of God to renew our heart and our mind and make us more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. You want to be a holy and acceptable sacrifice to the Lord? That's how we do it, by being transformed and becoming like Christ. Look at First Peter, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Second Peter 3, verse 18 says this, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might... Oh, that's First Peter. <laughs> wrong chapter, wrong verse. Chapter 3, verse 18 says this, But grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory now and forever. Well, why would you read that verse? Because the same word, metamorpho, is translated to change, to transform, as you use here, grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We need to rebuild the altar of sacrifice in our lives. Listen, when Elijah had went up there, he had to take stone by stone and set them back up. Why? Because it had been neglected for so long. That sacrifice could not be performed in the way that God had told them to perform it until that was done. I want you to understand, we need to rebuild the altar of sacrifice in our lives. We don't, know, we don't want to put part of the sacrifice up there and say, God, I hope this is enough, but I'm going to hold back part of this for me. No, it's all got to go on that altar because he deserves it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of all that Christ has done for you and I, the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, we, 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 we didn't deserve it, but in his mercy, he, he, showed, us, he, he showed us grace. In his mercy, uh, we, we've seen, received forgiveness. In his mercy, uh, he has put in us a, 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 a new spirit, a new heart. In his mercy, he has done all of these things for us. He deserves everything from us. But what I see is many times... And what I have done in my, in, in my own life at times is, God, you can have this. But you can't have this. And I may not mentally make that choice, but I make that choice with the choices that I make. What do I mean by that? I don't feel like going to church today. Now that you're sick, you're not able, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. Sometimes just don't feel like it. I didn't really want to go to a prayer meeting tonight. Putting my money in the offerings is a struggle. 
serving in this ministry or that ministry or whatever, or any ministry. I just, but if I can get myself to understand that God deserves everything that I am, everything that I have, I will voluntarily lay it on that altar. We skipped one word in this. It was a living sacrifice. All the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were killed. They were cut up. But a living sacrifice stays there of its own accord. Are you a living sacrifice today? Is there something in your life that you're not willing, not ready to give over to Christ? You can, you can try to do it on your own. You can try to give up this or give up that on your own, but until you lay it on the altar, say, Lord, I need you to take care of this. I want to be that holy, acceptable sacrifice. I want to cast off the sin. God, help me. You'll never do it. Until you look at the glory of what Christ did for you, you'll never deem him worthy of your sacrifice. May God help us to rebuild that altar. Father God, I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity that we have had to look in your word. And God, the truth is, your word is convicting. 